I think they need more than 10 volunteers. <laughs> I'm all, that's, uh, yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, at, uh, raised the, asked the question about coffee, you know, and about, you, you know, do you buy your coffee at the 7-Eleven where you touch the coffee pot with 10,000 other people, and why couldn't we do coffee here? And one of the things that I, I realized about that, and this ties into the fact that we need to get volunteers, is in, in many ways, the way we have uh, functioned uh, for the last 14 months has uh, um, been good that we could do this, but it's also been a, a little unusual, right, in that we certainly aren't doing the things that we normally do, and some of you probably actually liked not doing anything. <laughs> and suddenly we're in this situation where things are rap rapidly moving towards where we're going to have to do something. And so I think about the coffee machine downstairs. You know, we had that great coffee machine in the fellowship hall. One of the things I'm proudest about, about my ministry when I retire is, you know, I had a church with a gym and I had a coffee machine that looks like a nuclear reactor. And so... Uh, <laughs> But that nuclear reactor has been shut down for the last 14 months. And so I was talking with Kristen and Ann, like, you know, what's it going to be like when we turn that thing back on? You know, is it going to blow up? How is this going to work? Well, fortunately, our coffee people will come and work on it for us. Um, but uh, because it hasn't functioned, it's going to take it. I can only imagine what the first pot of coffee is going to taste like out of that. I think it'll taste great. Right? <laughs> right? Um, but uh, obviously, as we begin moving towards uh, our regular menu of ministries, we're, we're going to need help. So, um, and yeah, we're going to need a lot of help. And we're going to have to kind of exercise some muscles spiritually, emotionally, relationally that we haven't exercised in a while. So... Um, yeah, so in light of that, let me pray before I read our text and jump in this morning. Let's pray. Father, we, it's so rich to see these kids here today, and it just warms me and encourages me, and uh, it's so awesome. I pray for, the, for Emily and her team that you would bless them, uh, strengthen their hands, Lord, and uh, give them today an extra measure of your spirit as they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to these little ones that you would bear much fruit. Lord, thanks for that opportunity. Uh, thanks for the blessing uh, that we have now of having to do some things and having to use our gifts and our abilities and our time uh, again. And I pray that you would, well, you'd wake us up slowly but surely and gently, uh, but move us more into your mission. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to look today at just one verse, Second uh, John, uh, uh, verse 4. Text is uh, up behind me on the screens and in the bulletin. This is God's Word. We should hear it and respond to it, and we should believe it this morning as well. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded 
by the Father. So last week we talked about the fact that this letter is written from John uh, the Elder to a, a, a local church. And the, the kind of the approximate reason why he's writing this letter is John in his travels and his ministry or whatever has come across a handful of people, some people from this particular church that he is writing, and he says, you know, hey, I rejoice greatly. It was a, it was a big thing to him to come across some of these children of, a, of the church, and that children doesn't necessarily mean little ones, but uh, folks who had come from that church walking in the truth. Um, and that is, that, that, that's a great thing for us uh, to think about and to take courage in today. We, we should, uh, as we walk together, as we live together, we should look for the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of people. We should look for the fruit of the gospel in the lives of people. And when we come across someone from another church, when we come across someone who uh, is following Christ in a different context, who we, we happen to meet or to see, it is a great thing for us to encourage the church from which they come that they are having a fruitful ministry. Because the, the fact is, as those, just for instance, as those kids gather out there and as they get, hear the gospel, I am certain that there are volunteers there thinking, is this doing any good? Is this bearing any fruit? Is this even a spiritual thing that we're doing? <laughs> Or is it something else? And please understand when I say that, I'm not saying that because I think our kids are particularly unruly or particularly difficult to teach or anything like that. It's just simply the truth as, as you bear witness and as you live to serve and to proclaim the truth to others, uh, it is a slow business. Uh, and uh, it is a business that we, uh, the, the church is called to, and yet it is something that seems, you know, that we, we eagerly anticipate and eagerly look for the fruit of the gospel to be born in people's lives. And sometimes it's very, just very slow, really slow. I remember being so encouraged. One of the most encouraging uh, conversations I ever had with another pastor was uh, several years ago, we were several states away. And I was talking to another pastor, and he was talking to me about someone who had come from this church, in fact, someone who had grown up in this church. And, um, you know, whenever, whenever somebody says, hey, I know so-and-so that, that went to your church, you know, there's a, there's a little sweat and a little, there's a little like, okay, yeah, what about it? And he said, you know, one thing I can say about that guy is he knows the gospel. You did a good job. And so, you know, that, that we should long to see and to hear that as we come across believers from wherever, from Spain or from South America or uh, from South Sudan or wherever that we can say and we should communicate to our brothers and sisters who have faithfully ministered to those people as we come across them, hey, they know the truth. They're walking in the truth. They're living the truth, the truth that, that you labored over with them for all those years is bearing fruit in lives. Lives are changed. And so I think that's a, that, that is a, a very simple 
but a very real thing for us to look for and to long for uh, in uh, the lives of, 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 of the folks around us. And it is, it is such a rich thing to hear and to see someone who is no longer here. Maybe they live somewhere else. They live in California or Oregon or wherever, and you get word, you know what? That truth, that teaching, that word, that gospel is living in them. Jesus is alive in them, and he is bearing fruit in the way in which they live and love and work and serve wherever they are. So John is like, this is awesome. This is a great thing. I rejoice greatly. He, he is excited as he hears that because these are not people that he taught necessarily. These are not people that he administered to, but he sees the fruit of someone else's ministry, and he is going about the business to encourage them. That's a great thing. That's a great gift that we could have as, as, we, as we say that to people. When, when folks come here from uh, other places, you know, it is a great thing to write to their church and say, hey, you know, uh, this, this uh, family, this person that you sent here, you know, God's at work in them, and, and we credit your faithful ministry in their lives. That's a good thing. That's an important thing. But let's look a little bit more here at what he is actually, uh, at, at what he's actually talking about. Now, you may be taken back a little bit where he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children, because you could think, well, wait a minute, what about the rest of them? <laughs> don't, 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 look, don't look at it that way. It's simply in his ministry and in his life, he has come across a handful of people from this one particular church, and he sees the work of God there, and he's encouraged by that. And the other thing that he says about them is, is that to find some of your children that they are walking in the truth, right? Um, what, what, what does that mean? Well, here's the thing. This is, this is something that's so important for us. Um, we, um, the thing that unites us, the thing that makes us, uh, is the truth. And when John uses the word truth, uh, he's not talking so much about uh, uh, principles and that sort of thing, although that's, that's part of it. When John uses the word truth, what he means is the reality uh, uh, that, that is the way the world is, the way God made it. It's the truth of our Creator, our Redeemer, our Lord. And so what, it, what he means by that is, as we live and as we work and as we go about the, the world in which we live, to walk in the truth means that we know that uh, there's a God. And we know that this God made the world, and we know that this world is broken by sin and rebellion, and we know that this God loves this world so much that Jesus Christ took on flesh, entered into this world, lived a life that we could never live, died our death rose again, is Lord, and will come again one day in glory. And that his truth is given now to his body, the church, and we bear witness to that truth uh, in this world until he comes to take us home. That that truth, those, those things shape and direct what we're about. And that truth is unchanging. That truth was true in 100 AD. It is true today right? So it's not like we have to generate the truth or we have to come up with a new truth for each generation. No, this truth is, is, is the same yesterday, today, and it will be the same in eternity. 
The gospel never changes. The heart of God for his people never changes. The heart of God to work and to live and to sacrifice uh, his life so that we could live never changes. The promise of God to be with us and to provide for us never changes. That truth is fixed. And that is a good thing because if the truth were dependent upon us to to determine or or dependent upon us to, to make, then it would wax and wane, wouldn't it? We're fickle. But the truth of the gospel, the truth of the scripture is fixed. We don't have to make it. It simply is. But here's the thing, this, this, and this is what's so important about this for us to, to, to take away from this today, is that, that that truth, unchanging, it shapes us. It is not just simply a matter of facts. It's not simply a matter of knowing, knowing what is true, or acknowledging, or even speaking what is true. It is a matter of walking, walking, living in the truth. One of the real flaws in our, um, the way uh, we function uh, as, uh, as a bigger church is, and we rightly, and this is a, this is a good thing, this is, this is kind of foundational to who we are, we are very careful to examine our leaders and their knowledge of the truth. We have confessional documents, we have a catechism, a bigger one and a little one, and those things express for us and summarize for us what the Bible teaches. And it gives us a place to unify around to say, hey, we all agree that this is what the Bible teaches. We all agree that these are good summaries of the truth. And we look for our leaders to believe that, to know that, to be able to articulate that. That's important. We, we, take, that, we take that very seriously. And that in some ways, that is, uh, that, that is one of the best things about our particular wing of the church. But one of the weaknesses of that, frankly, is we don't spend as much time examining. the We, we examine the truth, but we don't examine often the walking. In this local congregation, uh, one of the things that we do here when, when people are nominated to be elders or deacons here, we take them through a very long and I think fairly rigorous training thing. But you know what? In the end, I call the spouses, the wives of these men, and I ask them the question, can you vote for your husband? And if they can't vote for their husband for any reason, those, those husbands are disqualified from leadership. Now, why is that? Well, it may be that he's too busy. It may be that uh, uh, she needs him more <laughs> engaged at home, which if that's true, then that takes priority over any ministry he would have here. But she lives with him. She sleeps with him. She watches him spend money and work and live. She watches him interact with their children. She, she knows him intimately and knows if this truth is changing him. It's, in some ways, it's easy to read a book 
and to say you believe what's in the book and to be able to talk about it. It is another thing entirely to read that book and to believe that book and then before the people you love confess that you don't live up to the book and you need their, their prayers for you and their help for you to do that, and that as you try and struggle to walk in accordance with this truth that you believe, that it would be bearing fruit in your life. You see, that's the thing that, that is, is so important for us to, to, to think about this, because John says here that we are commanded to walk in the truth. And what does he mean by that? Next slide, Brian. Because in, in uh, the previous book, in, in 1 John 3, 23, he says, and this is the commandment, right? What has the Father commanded us? Well, this is what he's commanded us, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he commanded us. You see, he does not, he, he doesn't, that is what walking in the truth is. Walking in the truth is believing in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, believing the content of the, go the gospel and loving people. That's it. <laughs> That's it. And you can't do one without the other. We can't love the way the Bible tells us to love unless we have been loved first by our Father, unless we have been softened and changed and, 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 and warmed by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ for us. And, and we, uh, we can't uh, tell the truth unless we know the truth, unless we, we have this gospel to, to speak. So these things must go together. That is, that is the goal of, of our teaching, our preaching, and, and, and in, in, in many ways, the goal of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I, 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 I mentioned this at the end of the, the nine o'clock service, is that one of our problems often in, in, in our tradition is, is we, we have these prophetic ministries because we have, we're great about speaking the truth. But I'm here to tell you today, you need to beware of prophets who preach without tears. And you need to be aware of yourself when you go to preaching without tears. You see, that is, that is one of the things that is, that is, is so, uh, uh, so necessary. And one of the things that hampers the work of the gospel in us is it's easy to say, I have the content of the gospel. It's another thing to be repenting, to be uh, uh, humbled, to be changed, to be submitted to this truth that corrects us, even as we go to speak the truth to others. That years ago, there was a, a friend of mine here in Presbytery, in our Presbytery, and um, he and I conflicted a lot, uh, a whole lot. Uh, and... Uh, in fact, all the time. A lot. Did I say we conflicted a lot? Because we conflicted a lot. And, and we, worked, we worked hard, tried to work hard to get along. And he was talking to me one day, and he said, hey, I, you know, I, I, think I, I think I know what our problem is, why we don't get along. And I said, what's that? He said, well, we're both, we're both, we both have this strong prophetic bent in us, and we clash. 
And I, when he said that to me, I was thinking that is, could not be further from the truth. But um, I, I was trying, I have this thing that I pray when I have difficult conversations with people is Jesus disciplined my facial muscles so that they don't reveal what I'm actually thinking. And I think what I did when he said that to me was I had my facial muscles under control, but I think my head was just going like this as he said it. And he knew me well enough, and he started laughing. He's like, oh, you just think I'm a jerk, don't you? <laughs> I was like, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and I am too. But, the, the, but you're a bigger one. But the, the fact is, the, 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 the reality is, right, that that is, uh, we settle so much for just coming away from being able to say, well, at least I told the truth. Well, yeah, that's it. That's the least. That is just the least. Because what John is getting at here and what this commandment is and the, the obedience to our Father is to believe the gospel and to love. And that those two things must be combined with one another. And, and, and the fact is, let me be clear here as we, as we dig into this a little bit further. I'm not talking about just being nice, right? Nice is overrated, right? Nice, nice is not, is not the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love is. And so love does not preclude us from saying hard things. But love does drive us to say hard things with tears in our eyes because we are broken by the fact that our sin and the sin of of the person we are telling the truth to prevents the full flourishing that God intended for us. And, and, you know, that's the thing, because it's easy to win arguments. It is a much more challenging issue to win hearts. And I would submit to you that I think not just, you know, flawless logic uh, is what is called for here as we apply the truth to our lives and to the lives of others, but that that logic, that truth, that richness uh, that is fixed forever has changed us so that the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control is manifest in the way in which we walk, right? Um, so how, how do you know as we enter into especially a very fractious, difficult, challenging, bitter, rancorous uh, uh, situation, how do we know that as we bear witness to the truth, and that we should, and we, it's, it's a necessity that we bear witness to the truth, how do we do that in a way that, as John would say here, is loving one another, just as we've been commanded. And let me just say something about this. Uh, there's great hope in this for us today, really great hope, really rich hope. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. Um, the man who wrote, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us, stood outside a city one day with his brother, was talking to Jesus, a city that rejected the truth. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven on these losers? Because we'll do it. Jesus called him a son of thunder. A son of thunder. Because he was loud. 
and angry and thunderous in his condemnation. And here he is, much later in his life, softened, changed, gentled, not weak, not not giving up on the truth, but that the, the fruit of the gospel had changed him, right? It's easy to call down fire on the people that are wrong. Anybody can do that, but it's challenging to love, isn't it? Right? So I, I, think, I think there's great, there's great comfort and great encouragement in, in that for us today that over time what we know is as we rub up against more and more the love of Jesus Christ, as we, as we confront that, as we go deeper into that truth, that truth uh, becomes not just a, a classroom exercise or a, a book that re, we read, but it actually becomes the very laboratory that God uses to get glory for himself as he changes us more and more into his image. Jesus could correct like nobody's business, right? But even as he stands outside of Jerusalem and he looks at it preparing to go uh, into in, in, to enter into his passion week, he weeps over that city because they would not believe the gospel. He's not shaking the dust off. He's not saying, I want nothing to do with you. So what are we, what are, what are we to do with this? Well, so, so can folks say they're being loved as you're telling them the truth? How do we know that? Well, one of the things is, I, I came across this quotation from a, a friend of mine as he's he struggled in the last year with a lot of criticism, and he says, the darkest parts of Christian social media are the places where people who have convinced themselves that their sincerely held doctrines release them from the responsibility to display the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's pretty direct, right? And I as I as I as I think about that I think you know God help me not to be like that and and help us as a congregation not to be that way and and help us as a as a community of believers to bear witness to even be willing to die for the truth but to do it that the truth is bearing fruit in us by the spirit of God Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? And this is so hard because, because the, the fact of the matter is much of that fruit of the Spirit does not feel that satisfying. <laughs> Isn't that funny? What, what feels satisfying to me is, ah, I got one over on them. I set them straight, <laughs> Right? I I think that's, uh, yeah, I just sincerely held doctrines release them from the responsibility to display the fruit of the Spirit. And that doesn't mean that those sincerely held doctrines aren't important. They are absolutely important. If we lose those sincerely held doctrines, we're lost. But those sincerely held doctrines must bear, bear, if we're walking in that truth, it has to be changing us, right? Right? And secondly, uh, are, are you quick to listen? I can tell you right now, I'm not quick to listen. 
And one of the reasons why I know that is, especially people that I've been around a, a lot, I, before they say something, I know what they're going to say before they say it. So I don't want to need waste my time and energy on listening to them while I am crafting my response to what I think they're going to say to me. And I know this is a problem because sometimes I've crafted a response and I say it to people and they're like, wait, I wasn't even talking about that. And, and they're like, they weren't because I wasn't listening to them. I thought I knew what they were going to say before they said it. Are you quick to listen? And especially, are you quick to listen when somebody tells you something that you know is wrong? Are you willing to let them say it before you engage with them on it? Um, are you quick to forgive? Uh, Marilyn Robinson writes this, this great line from her book, Gilead, where she says that, you know, some of the dearest things to Christians are grudges because we nurse them like babies. <laughs> right? Are you quick to forgive? And this is a hard thing for us now. In fact, I think, I think our, our church and our community and our nation and, and uh, all of this, we're trying to figure out what does this look like and, and what's the relationship between forgiveness and justice, you know, because, I, you know, I, I, it, it's important for me as I proclaim the truth that, 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 that justice reigns absolutely, you know, and, and fortunately, thankfully, the truth is that the, the justice of God is manifest to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And the justice of God is manifest there clearly to us because the mercy of God is, is clearly demonstrated to us in, in, in uh, the cross. So one of the ways you can know that you're walking in the truth is are you quick to forgive? Next slide. So I came across these two uh, quotes from, from uh, Tim Keller this week. Only those who forgive and who are willing to forgive will be capable of relentlessly pursuing justice without falling into the temptation to pervert it into injustice. Forgiveness does not preclude justice. On the contrary, without forgiveness, you may pursue something less like justice for all and more like revenge for you, which I thought, I thought that was justice. But anyway, uh, uh, two eyes for an eye, two teeth for a tooth. Forgiveness and justice go together, and our culture, I would say our church, separates them, Right? So one of the ways that people can know that we are walking in the truth is that this uh, that we are quick to forgive. In the last 20 years, there have been two very profound things that have captivated our country, you know, for about 30 seconds, which is about as long as the truthful things ever captivate our country. One was, remember uh, several years ago when that uh, man went into that uh, Amish school in Pennsylvania and murdered those kids? Do you remember that? And before the day was out, those Amish people were at his family, praying for them, bringing food to them, and forgiving him. Now, that's the, the so social scientists look at that and, and they think, how is that possible? It can't be real. What, you know, this, is, this must be some sort of ritual that these people go through. And so there was a lot of study of that culture. And I'm not saying we should be Amish, you know, I don't want to be Amish. Um, but I will say this, that the conclusion that they came from was, here's a community of people that sings about the cross. 
Here's a community of people that thinks about their Savior dying for his enemies. Here's, here's a culture and here's, here's a group of people who have taken those truths and they have transformed them so much that they can go and be gracious and merciful to the people who sin against them. That's walking in the truth. Because the, because the truth that, that there's forgiveness for sins in Jesus Christ the truth is that, that because he has forgiven us, because he has taken us as enemies and turned us into his friends, because that, that's true. That's no less true than the great doctrines of the inerrancy or the infallibility of the scriptures. But that truth of forgiveness changes us, doesn't it? These are the ways that the people that we differ with, these are the ways that uh, the, 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 the gospel will be demonstrated as those people walk in the truth. May God give us the grace to walk in the truth. Let me pray. Lord, as we come to you today, we thank you for this text. We thank you for uh, this group of people that John came across and how he rejoiced to see the the fruit of the Spirit being born in their lives, that they believed the gospel, they believed the truth, and uh, they were people who uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit were being born uh, in them. Lord, would that be true of us? Would you do that uh, for us, in us, uh, with us? We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.